There's an expression here in the UK where, that we say when we meet somebody or we're talking about somebody that we have no idea who they are, and we say, I don't know them from Adam. Um, if you don't know me from Adam, my name's Paul, Paul Wilson. Um, been a part of this church for many years. This church sent my mom and dad out to Brazil back in the 80s as missionaries. Um, so I grew up in Brazil, and I now work fitting shutters in the Birmingham area. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you were here last Sunday evening. Uh, last Sunday evening, we weren't talking about fishing. Um, we were talking about the cost of living crisis. Uh, Donald and Deb were fielding questions that people were texting in about the cost of living crisis. And there was one question that stuck with me all week. Don't know if you remember it. Right at the end, if you weren't here, you can watch it on YouTube, on the church's YouTube um, channel. But the question that came in right at the end, somebody was asking, if my family, if I don't have family, how do I find support here in the church? Do you remember that, those of you that were here? Someone was asking, if I don't have family, if I don't have a network of support, how do I find that here in the church? And Donald and Deb were, were talking about that. And that question stuck with me all week. Um, something I've been doing for a few months now is working through... So Donald was, was training me on how to, to preach and teach from the Bible, and he said, just take a book of the Bible and work your way through it. Don't skip anything. Just work your way through it chapter by chapter. So that's what we're doing. We're working through Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, and we've come to chapter 5. I'll just give you a quick recap. So Genesis, the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, he um, makes it good, and then he creates mankind. He creates Ab Adam and Eve, and he blesses them. There's a blessing that comes from God in chapter 1. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so there's that blessing on mankind that they're going to multiply. And then we came to chapter 3, and there's the fall and the curse. And God said, if you eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, of the knowledge of good and evil... On the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And Adam and Eve are deceived by Satan. They eat of it, and so that curse is on them. And for the rest of humanity, we see that combination of that blessing and that curse. There's the blessing of fruitfulness and multiplying, and then there's the curse that all of us are under, that one day we die. And you see that the last time I spoke on the book of Genesis, chapter 4, we saw the story of Cain and Abel. And you see both that blessing. Adam and Eve are blessed with sons, Cain and Abel. But there's also that curse. So Cain kills his brother Abel. And so Abel's separated from Adam and Eve by death. And Cain is then cast away and separated from Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve are left for a moment without children. And all that, that's the build-up to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is an unusual passage, as you'll see. But you'll see that through it, there's that, those two running themes of the blessing of children and the curse of death. And I've got my friends, Luke and Noah, who are going to come and read Genesis chapter 5. Over to you guys. Should I use this one? Yeah. Genesis 5, Adam's descendants to Noah. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived for 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. 
The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had uh, lived for 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after, uh, after he fathered Enosh for 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived for 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan for 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived for 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. We'll go with that. (laughs) Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel for 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When (laughs) Mahalalel... Mahalalel had lived for 65 years. He fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared for 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived for 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch for 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah lived for 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech for 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech when Lamech lived for 182 years, he fathered a son called, and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful, to- the painful toll of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah for 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech, of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Luke and Noah. It's Noah reading about Noah. I was, I was saying to Noah, that's probably the earliest recording of his name. Um, did you find that a bit strange? I um, imagine speaking with God and saying, God, I've got your book, and I've been reading through your book that you're going to communicate to humanity through the Bible. And I've got to chapter 5, and it was really odd. 
It's just a long list of men's names and them having children and then dying. And they live really, really long time, like hundreds of years. And I'm very confused, God, why <laughs> a few pages into your book, it's just gone really odd. What's that about? Um, why did they live so long? And before we go into what that's about, let's, let's just pray together. Um, Father, we do thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that it's alive today. Thank you that you speak into our hearts for it. And I pray by your Holy Spirit, would you help us to meet with Jesus through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So I remember as a kid reading Genesis, and I remember my thought was, did they actually live that long? Did they, actually, did they really live that long? And so as I was preparing for this evening, I, um, I studied this, these massive ages. And um, so I looked into the commentaries. I looked into people that study this kind of thing for their whole lives. And there are people that have studied this subject for years and years and years and looked into these long ages in Genesis chapter 5. Why are there such long ages? And I, I've looked into what the experts say and I'm going to summarize what the experts say for you now. The summary is, we don't know. <laughs> and there are several different theories, um, and there are a few others other than this, but I'll try and give you the four main ones. These are the four main theories. Number one, the, the long ages recorded in Genesis chapter 5. Number one is that they had a different numbering system. So we use a decim decimal numbering system, and so the ages we see actually represent a different value. Um, another theory, number two, is that the ages are symbolic. So Enoch lives for 365 years, which reminds us of a year, doesn't it? Lamech lives for 777 years, which in Jewish culture, the number seven's important, so it's like three sevens. If you do the maths on Methuselah's age, this is really interesting, Rob Foster pointed this out. He lives to 969, and if you do the maths with the following chapter, Methuselah actually dies the year of Noah's flood, the year of the flood. So it could be that the ages are symbolic. Uh, third theory is that the years don't represent just that individual's life, they represent the life of their tribe. So like Adam's tribe lived for 900 odd years. Um, or the author actually meant what they wrote and these people lived very long lives. Uh, I worked for years in a nursing home and it always struck me, and it always stuck out to me. I'd, I'd care for people who are sometimes over 100 years old, and they would be shocked and surprised at their body becoming old. I cared for a, few, a number of people like that. It's like, why am I so old? I'm not supposed to be old. I'm only, I'm only in my 20s. That's how, that's how I feel. And it was almost like their body being old and their mind becoming old was something unnatural and strange, like it shouldn't have happened. Just food for thought, like almost like they weren't supposed to be like that. So why are there such large ages? Summary is we don't know for sure. So what about the long list of names? Why is there such a long list of men's names? Seems like a strange thing for us to look at on a Sunday evening. Why didn't you just skip over this passage, Paul? It's just odd. I, um, with my work, I was working for a younger guy. He was about my age, maybe a bit younger, and he was doing up a house on the other side of Birmingham. And he's from a Pakistani family. He had this, this new house um, that he was working on, and he wanted shutters, so I fit shutters. 
And I got talking to him. So he's from the Pakistani community. And he was talking about how when he meets men, older men from the Pakistani community, they want to know what his surname is. I said, that's interesting. Why do they want to know your surname? He said, the reason they want to know my surname is because by my surname, they can tell more or less where I'm from and what family I'm part of and more or less who I am in Pakistan. So by my surname, they know where I'm from and who I am. They can place me. To the Jewish people, the passage we read tonight wouldn't seem strange at all. It makes complete sense. And it makes sense because it makes sense of who they are and where they've come from. So if you're a Jewish child and you're having the Torah or the, the, the Old Testament explained to you and you read Genesis chapter 5, an adult might say to you, these are our ancestors, this is who we are. Our ancestors bind us together as a people. You're, in other words, you're part of something that's much bigger, much older than your little life. So to kind of illustrate that, if, um, if we imagine Genesis chapter 5, if we start with Adam, I'm going to come back here to Paul. If we imagine that Paul here at the back is Adam, so you get the rope. And then what we see in Genesis chapter 5 is a genealogy, and it comes through. If we imagine each row of chairs is a generation so Adam has a son, Seth. I've got the, ge the genealogy in a knot. Um, and then it comes, and at each generation, we get the next generation's name. Do you understand what I'm doing here? So Adam's at the back, and we're working our way forwards. Can I, can I pass that through? Up to the front row, which is the present day, or Noah. So we've got the line of Adam running through. Does that make sense so far? Are you with me? Now, the thing is, with the Jewish people... Adam had other sons and daughters. And so further back, if I give you that, Frida, Adam's descendants also had children. And so they spread out into other families. Yeah, Chris. So do you see what's going on here? With each, with each generation, there are more and more brothers and sisters. And so the family net kind of grows. I checked with Donald this morning that it was okay to go across the aisles. Yeah, if you give that to Lucas. So Lucas as part of the, the genealogy, has had other sons and daughters, and it's spreading out. Here we go. It's got to Andy. And the family net's widening. Do you understand what I'm doing here? Are you following me? I haven't, I haven't lost the plot yet. And so, there you go. You've had sons and daughters, and it spreads out over this way all the way to Noah. So can you see what's going on? It's, it's forming a bit of a net, and that's a family or a tribe. And so these ancestors are like the ropes going back into history. And so here we are as a tribe, as a people, if we're the Jewish people, hundreds of years later, and we're connected by this big web of brothers and sisters, of sons and daughters, friendships, and that forms a great net or a tribe of people. Are you following me? And that connection can be really strong. And for the Jewish people, it was strong through history, that connection, we're blood, we're connected through the line of Adam. This is who we are as a people. And if there's a crisis, if something happens to one of you, that net, that support structure is there all around you. You've got your people, your brothers, sisters, your, your uncles, aunts. That family structure, your tribe is around you to support you if you're in a crisis. If you have an accident at work and you can't work anymore, your tribe is around you. 
If you're a foreigner who arrives into that community and you've got no one and you're stuck, that, when that net is healthy, that net will support you and bring you in. That was the intention of the tribe. Why am I talking about this? What does that have to do with us? We're not the Jewish people. I mean, some people here might be Jewish, but I'm not a Jew. What does it have to do with us? You guys all right holding the ropes? You can put it down if you, if you get tired. Um, what we're going to do now, a bit, bit of a change of direction, is we're going to do a quiz. And I'm going to ask you 10 questions, and uh, you're going to have a score. You're going to try and keep tally of your score in your head. I'm not going to ask you what your score is at the end. The score is just for you. So these are going to be 10 questions. Try and keep a track of your score in your head. But nobody's going to ask you for your score at the end. Okay, question number one of 10. Starting with your parents, how many generations back into your family tree can you tell me about? Even just a name. So, for example, if you can tell me your parents' names, that's one point. If you can tell me your grandparents' names or anything about them, that's two points. Great-grandparents, three points. Do you understand what I mean? Question number one. How many generations back in your family tree can you tell me about? Question number one. Question number two. How many family members have you had any kind of conversation with in the last week? That'll be a harder question for some of us than others. How many family members have you had any kind of conversation with in the last week? Question number three. If you had an emergency at midnight tonight, how many doors within a five-mile radius of where you live would you feel confident to knock at and ask for help? So if you had an emergency tonight at midnight, within five miles of where you live, how many doors are there where you'd feel confident to go and knock at midnight and ask for help? Question number four. Our church's food bank is being used by hundreds of people. How many people do you know personally who have used the food bank? How many people do you know personally who have used the food bank? Question number five, and this is thinking mainly about the older generation. In the last week, how many people who received some kind of care have you visited? How many people who have received some kind of care have you visited? And you can add bonus points if you had some kind of meaningful interaction with them. So a meaningful conversation, you shared a laugh, you held a hand. Question number six, thinking of the younger generation. In the last week, how many times have you invested in some way in the lives of somebody else's children? In the last week, how many times have you invested in some way in the lives of somebody else's children? 
Question number seven. How many people living on your street could you name? Question number eight. Urdu is the second most spoken language in Birmingham, with 2.9% of people as of 2022 speaking Urdu in Birmingham. How many Urdu speakers do you know personally? How many Urdu speakers do you know personally? Question number nine. We're getting there. Sutton Coalfield has seen many people arriving from Hong Kong in the last months with the political situation in China. In the last month, how many times have you greeted someone from Hong Kong? In the last month, how many times have you greeted someone from Hong Kong? And finally, question 10. In the last week, how many different people have you shared a meal with? How many different people have you shared a meal with? Okay. Wonder how do you feel about your score? We're not going to ask you what your score is. The point of it is how do you how do you feel about your score? Some of us will have high scores. Some of us will have low scores. And the point of this quiz wasn't to make you feel guilty or sad or proud of yourself. Uh, there are people among us in the life of the church who will spend almost their whole life caring for one person and they don't really have time for much else. So the point wasn't to feel guilty or sad or proud of ourselves. The point of the quiz was to think about something that's quite important. Donald was talking last Sunday evening about the cost of living crisis. And he said this, he said, something that all the users of our food bank have in common is this. They do not have an extended network of support and family. They do not have an extended network of support and family. And then he said, we have lost family life and community life. So the point of that quiz was to bring something important to our attention. At the start of the passage that Luke and Noah read, it said there were these verses. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So from the beginning, we were made in God's likeness. We were made to be like him. And part of that was to be in interconnected relationships, in a net of people, in a net of relationships. We were made to be in that. And um, I'm not going to give you a biology lesson, but something that happens when male and female come together is that we begin to form family and community, and that's part of God's blessing. But I want to put it to you that here in this town today, that net, that blessing from God, has been badly damaged. So what does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like we have homes um, which have, for, for whatever reason, have become broken, whether it's through tragic circumstances or, or the tragedy of, of a divorce or whatever, families 
get separated. And what happens in that process is that very often there'll be young people who find themselves with no one to turn to. And what we end up with down the line are, are situations where young people are left with no one to turn to. And we see those young people in our town. We see those young people, we come across them and, and we see robberies in Sutton Park. And, and we end up looking at them as an isolated piece of string and say, that's, that's that young person over there. But actually, it's not that young person over there. It's part of the net. It's just that they've become detached and they're separated. Matty? What else do we see? We see, and, and, and this is something that I've wrestled with and I, and I don't know the answer to, and this is something that I'm coming to. Both my grandmothers went into care homes um, but something that's become normal in our community is for the person who links us to the older generations, often our parents, it's become normal for us in our community to say, actually, I, I am too busy or because of our life situation, and I don't know what the, the solution is, but you're the person that connects me to my ancestors, but I'm going to ask you if you could if you could look after them for me, because I can't. And that's become something that's normal in our society. And I, I'm coming to that fr from a place of that's what happened in my family. But the person that we, that connects us to our ancestors, we give to somebody else, often to a business that makes profit from their care. And so we hand over that responsibility. And in some situations, because of the breakdown of that net, we don't have any way of caring for them. And so that person is then often left. And, and we, uh, when I worked in the nursing home, you see many people who never have a visitor, who are left isolated and alone. Sometimes in the way that we work, in the way that we make decisions about our career, we, we say, well, I, I want to find the job that's going to pay me the best and give me the most career success and progression. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the community that, that raised me and that nurtured me and where all my roots are, and I'm going to move elsewhere geographically. And I'll still keep in touch. And the years go by, and I end up detached and separated. And so the net starts to get broken down as we make those decisions. And as that goes on and on, it becomes more and more normal and so the net that we're meant to be a part of becomes more and more fragmented. And we have an epidemic of lonely people, people who are isolated. And these isolated people haven't appeared out of nowhere. People don't just appear out of nowhere. Everybody comes from a long line of mothers and fathers. But today, in this town, there are people who find themselves without that net. And what happens then is that when a crisis comes along, when something happens in their life, there is no support structure. It's gone. It's been broken down over years of bad decisions, over not following God's pattern for the way humanity should be. And so we find all these isolated people. You know, when you, 
when you see on the TVs um, crisis situations where there's been a famine and you see people are hungry and have been hungry for years and their bodies are impacted by it. That's a, that's a kind of starvation. But I think what we see here today in our town, it's not so much a, a physical starvation because of food, it's a social starvation. We're living in a society that's socially starved. And that's part of why we see the increase in, in the use of our food bank. And so what can we do about it? How do we break that pattern? I wonder, in the passage that Luke and Noah read, I wonder, as we went through those generations, was there one, do you remember that there was one that was a little bit different? Do you remember the name? There was one that, that kind of broke the mold slightly. Do you remember the name? Enoch. Enoch. I'd, I'd recommend, if you get on the church's YouTube channel, I'd really recommend watching this video. Val Inchley did it, called A Nepali Enoch. It's six minutes and 42 seconds long, and it's well worth watching. She does a really good job of breaking down who Enoch is in the Bible, and then she tells a really interesting story of something that took place in Nepal that's very similar to the story of Enoch. Well worth watching if you get the chance. I'll just leave it there for you to make a note of it. says this in the passage we just looked at, Genesis chapter 5. When Enoch had lived for 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch stood out in all those generations because he faithfully lived his life close to God. And that's the beginning. That's what God wants from us before anything else. It says this in Micah chapter 6. He's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So that's the starting point before anything else. There's a walking with God. And what does that look like? So the great net, if you like, of the Jewish people was recorded very carefully. So you go from Adam to Noah, like we saw in the chapter today, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and then after the exile to Jesus, who was the promised one. And Jesus, the man Jesus, understood what it was like to be part of that net. He understood what it was to be part of a tribe. Imagine that feeling of belonging. Jesus knew what that was like. And so you get that story, and when you know that context, the story where people come to Jesus, Jesus is teaching, and they say, your mother and your brothers are here. In other words, you're part of the net, the part you're most connected to, the ones you're responsible for are here. And when you know that context, how important that tribe is to Jesus, his reply is quite shocking. Do you know what Jesus says? He says, my, my mother and my brothers are those who do God's will. And so I think when we understand how important that net was, we understand how important these words are from the beginning of John's gospel, what it is that Jesus has done for us as a people. He says, but to all, anybody, doesn't matter if you're a Jew or who you are, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you become a child of God. You become part of that family, of that net. You have the right to become a part of that net. And so when Jesus says to Peter, leave your nets, he's not just talking about leaving his profession. He's talking about leaving that immediate family network and becoming part of something, becoming involved in something that's a lot bigger. And that's basically a summary of what God's calling us to do today. He's calling us, he's calling you and me to leave the small net of our own individual life, our own immediate family, our own immediate work. He's calling us to leave that and start, not to, not to leave it and be gone, but to start loving wider, to become involved in something wider. When, when I was younger and people would talk about being a Christian, they'd talk about, I don't know if you heard this, having a personal relationship with Jesus, our personal relationship with Jesus. And that is important we need to be walking with Jesus and having a personal relationship with him, but it's only a small part of the picture. The Jewish community, when they started coming to Jesus, they understood that it's a lot more than just having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's, so it's true, but it's not the whole picture. Jesus doesn't just save us from sin. He saves us into a community. That's crucial for understanding what Jesus did. He saves us into a community, a net and that net comes with a responsibility for the people around us. And that responsibility starts at home. These verses are quite hard that I'm going to show now. The response, this is part of what it is to be a Christian. Part of what it is to be a Christian is this. It says in 1 Timothy, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So it comes with a serious responsibility to look after the people immediately around us. So how do we do that? How do we start loving wider? What does that look like? So we followed the line all the way from Adam through to Jesus. And after Jesus, after Jesus was here on earth, that line carried on. We have ancestors in the faith. So in ancient Rome, in the early centuries of Christianity, Christians were despised. Christians were taken into the, the big coliseums and put in front of wild animals to be ripped apart. Christians were, were looked down on, were rejected, were cast out. They were the bottom of society, the nobodies. But at the same time, while they were being butchered, it was the Christians who, if somebody had a child and didn't want them for whatever reason and put them out on the street to die, the Christians would take them in. If there was a woman who lost any family or, or connections and was put out onto the street, it was the Christians that would take her in. If somebody was sick and rejected and put out, it was the Christians that would take them in. That's what the Christians were known for in those first centuries. So they're getting butchered in the Colosseums, but they're taking in the nobodies, the sick, the least. That's what they were known for. And then further on into history, if you look at the origins of what we call a hospital today. That word hospital comes from hospitality. And part of the origin of what we call the modern hospital came from the Christian community looking out from their immediate families and saying, hang on, there are people that are sick. There are people that have nowhere to turn to. We're going to look after these people in a more organized way. 
in a more structured way. And so from that began to develop what today we call the hospital. Even closer in history, here in Birmingham, there are so many stories, but here in Birmingham, this one specifically. Anyone been to Cadbury World? The story of John Cadbury. He was a Quaker, and his personal relationship with Jesus, his walking with Jesus, part of being a Quaker is sitting in silence and listening to what God might be saying to us by his Holy Spirit. And he listened, and he looked out, and he saw communities of poorer people who didn't have regular work, who didn't have a good community life, who were in real trouble because of alcoholism. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a business, and I'm going to give these people good housing and reliable work and health benefits and education. And Bourneville's still there today. It's worth looking into that history here in Birmingham. And I could tell you dozens and dozens of stories like that. These people are our ancestors in that line that comes down from Jesus. The church has always built nets wherever it's been. And so my question is, what about us? What will we be known for here at Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church? How will we be remembered by the generations that are coming after us? And as we, we come towards the end, how can we repair the net that we find around us? How can we as a people repair the net that we find around us? And the first starting point has to be like Enoch. It has to be walking with God. There's no other way. We can't do this with our own effort. It has to start with that listening to God's voice. But as we do that, I wonder, and I'm not telling you how to live your life, but I wonder when we, if you're of a working age, when you make decisions about how you work, I wonder what are your priorities there? Are your priorities having the best career progression possible, the best opportunities possible, or are your priorities, how can I serve the community I'm part of the best? When it comes to moving house or moving location, have you thought about what network of people you're going to be a part of? What's going to happen to the network of people that you're leaving? How will your leaving affect them? If you're thinking about university in a few years or further education, how will your moving affect the community you're leaving? What community will you be a part of where you're going? How will your course be a benefit to the community of which you're part? In some other cultures, these questions would just be second nature. People would just ask them without thinking. But I think here, because of the damage that's been done, we don't always think about these things. Our homes, the places we live in, this week, the place where you live, how is that place going to be used to bless the community around you? Who's going to come into that place? Who's going to eat in that place? How is that place going to be used to be a blessing to the wider community? In our family life, I don't, I don't have children. Um, but I think an important question to ask is, is the way that we as a community raise children, is our priority for those children to be successful, or is our priority for those children to be a blessing to the community and to the world? And then, like I said, with the elderly, with our older generations, those people that connect us to our history, 
I don't know what the answer is, but I feel in my heart that there must be a better way of honoring and looking after the people that go above us, that go beyond us on those ropes, than just letting them be looked after by businesses. And I don't know what that solution is, but maybe we need to think and pray together, because I feel we're not doing it as well as we could be. And I know that's an incredibly complex, I don't want you to come away from here feeling guilty. My own grandmothers were both in care, but I feel like there's got to be a better way of doing it. And the truth is, we can do it. We can repair those nets. I don't know if you were here for, we've had two baptisms fairly recently. We had Zoe's baptism a little while ago, and Zoe was already connected in our community by her family, her parents, her sisters, her friendships. She was already in that net. And it was lovely, it was great to celebrate what Jesus has done in her life as a family, wasn't it? But then we had another baptism in the morning, fairly recently. I don't know if you were here for Lee's baptism. And Lee was somebody who came from, he, he found Jesus in prison, and he knew nobody. He didn't grow up in a Christian context. He was that lone strand out by himself. And Lee said it was one of the best moments, probably the best moment in his life. Because after his baptism, Lee stood here and I think over 100 people came and hugged him and welcomed him and spoke with him. And it took forever. Way after the service had finished, people were still queuing to hug him and welcome him. A guy who was not connected in any way to the net, but now he is. He was here this morning. As I was talking about him, he was sat at the back over there nodding. So we can do it. I was listening to a wise woman speak this week. And she said, in every place, the church is the salt. It's the light it's what preserves community. In every place, the church is the salt. It's the light. It's what preserves community. So if we think back right to the beginning, do you remember I talked about that question that was texted in? If I've lost my family, if I don't have a family support network, how do I find that here? I think it's really important that here among us, whoever it was that texted that in, goes from being someone we don't know from Adam to somebody that's welcome into the family because of Jesus. Someone we don't know from Adam becomes somebody who's welcome into the family because of Jesus. So what we're going to do now is just going to have a time of silence, a short time of silence like Mr. Cadbury would have done. And just in the silence, just for a minute, let's ask God by his Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, how can I be a part of repairing this net here and now, at this time, in this generation? So we're going to have a time of silence, and then I'm, I'm just going to pray. This is a reading from Ephesians chapter 2, and this is true for you if you're somebody who has welcomed Jesus into your life. It says this, so then, you Gentiles are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are now citizens together with God's people and members of the family of God. You too are built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets the cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself. 
He is the one who holds the whole building together and makes it grow into a sacred temple dedicated to the Lord. In union with him, you too are being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. And we're just going to have a time of reflection. Luke's going to be here at the front, and he's going to have a piece of string. And um, he's going to be cutting off pieces. And if you would like, as a, as a way of, of saying to God, God, I know I'm just a small part of this net, but I want to recognize that even though I'm a small part, I want to be part of this net, and I want to be part of making it strong again. If you'd like to do that, if you'd like to represent that in your life, you can come up and get a piece of string. And um, <laughs> if you want to, something else you can do is you could tie a knot in it. And uh, as that piece of string is in your pocket or your wallet or whatever, it's going to get a bit of wear and tear over time. Some of you are going to hate me for this. Um, and uh, as that string gets a bit worn out, and, and uh, Satan might come to you and say, you're just a piece of string. You don't really matter. Your life doesn't make a difference. You're just a little piece of string. And uh, you can say to Satan, no, I'm afraid not. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. I'm actually, I'm afraid not. I'm part of a net. I'm part of something much bigger. I'm connected into Jesus. Through all those years of history, I'm part of a family that's hundreds, thousands of years old, and I'm part of something much wider than just my own life. And even if there are difficulties in my own life, when things are hard, I'm held by that net. And when things are good in my life and I'm strong through Jesus, I'm providing support to other people as Jesus leads me. That's who I am. I'm not just a piece of string. I'm afraid not. <laughs>